to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, January 26th. A lot has happened over the past 10 days in the tennis world. Of course, here at Cracked Rackets, we were focused on all the action happening at the college level and what a fun ITA kickoff weekend it was. We are so grateful to all of you out there who joined us for our Red Zone coverage of all of the action. Certainly, uh, we had some exciting on-court results. And of course, on tomorrow's Great Shot podcast, Chris Halioris, Matt Stokowiak going to be joining me to break down all of that action, give our initial thoughts on the national indoors event that we will see in, what, three weeks from now? And of course, we will continue to get excited for the rest of this 2021 college tennis season. But we also had plenty of pro action go down the ITF circuit, Challenger circuit, in full steam now uh, here in this 2021 season. And of course, joining us on today's podcast to break down all of that action, talk about his weekly review preview, which of course all of you can read on our website, CrackRackets.com. You know him as the Pied Piper of the Daily Match Pick'em, the guru of the Pro Tennis Travel Guide. I know him as Tennis in Aloha. It is Judson Wall. Judson, welcome back to the podcast, my friend. How are you doing? Aloha, Gresky. Uh, Good to be back. I am doing well, just jonesing for some big league tennis uh you know the challengers they itch the scratch but they don't get you full <laughs> see i'm gonna have to respectfully disagree my takeaway watching some of the college tennis matches this weekend that you know we're watching the one singles guys and some of the notable one singles players mikhail torpegard gonna be playing right in this australian open now guys like nuno borges and you know we talked about oliver crawford a bunch we've obviously see guys like isner and steve johnson having success at the top of the men's game uh then our coverage was primarily men's focused you know all those guys go on to have pro success but the takeaway for me was watching the six singles this weekend and just from a personal level I'm like god these guys are just so much better than me I'm like they just make high level tennis look so easy and I know I'm still in the honeymoon phase I think with this 2021 season where any tennis to me is just good tennis fun tennis to watch but my belly is full that itch is scratched right now we've got a bunch of fun action to digest and enjoy as tennis fans well, you were you were doing ten hour days watching. Yeah, that's true. Comment- I was delirious on commentating and watching uh, college tennis. I mean, I imagine you're full. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very accurate point. Yeah, that's true. There, there was a point at like seven p.m. on Saturday. I was like, "Who are we watching?" I was like, "I think it's USC playing." No, it's UCLA. Is that Cal? I'm like, I think this is Los Angeles. I don't know, whatever. Uh, but no, it was a very fun weekend, and again, uh, it is going to be very fun for me now to step back to enjoy a couple of challengers this week because I know that is the action we have in store. But we will get to the weekly preview later on in this show. There was a lot of fun tennis that went down in Week Three of this 2021 season, Judson, and we will talk about all of it in a second, of course. See how I'm going to sneak in this plug here. You didn't expect this coming, folks. The reason we are able to do these podcasts day in, day out, because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports, who year-long are going to provide the best deals for the best equipment in the tennis business, whether you need rackets, shoes, clothing. They have got it all, all at the best prices. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty tennis balls of course you'll let them know we sent you there as well by using that promo code so go to midwestsports.com 
Use that promo code CR15. With that in mind, let's talk about what we saw in week three, Judson. And let's start as you did in your article with the first challenger event of the 2021 season. And of course, it's worth noting as we did throughout the offseason, it's going to be much more difficult for events that aren't ATP or WTA 250s. And by the way, how great is it that we can refer to them all as 250s? Now, it's not going to be the same for the 250s, 500s, Masters events, Grand Slams, where you can spend all this money to quarantine all of these players for an extended period of time. The logistics of organizing and executing a challenger or ITF level event going to be much more difficult. Although I suppose at the ITF level, they're just kind of like, fuck it, just play the tournament at this point and we'll see what happens after that. But, you know, that's something we can comment on later. Let's start, though, with the first challenger of the year, Judson. We had our first action go down in Istanbul at the 125K. Let our listeners know what happened. Yeah, it was the first challenger of the year. They uh, they got started late, uh, of course, with uh, the pandemic, canceling some of those earlier challenger tournaments. And then the calendar is getting reorganized, of course, uh, you know, with Australia being moved back players having to go quarantine um and then uh you know tournaments like delray and antalya the atp 250 you know taking those calendar spots and with uh australian open qualifying being moved up you know all of that basically led to no challenger action the first couple weeks of the season when normally we would be having those challengers alongside you know the atp tournaments uh to start the season out but not this year so this year we started a couple weeks later in Istanbul, which was last week, uh, and they played indoors in Istanbul. It was actually snowing, uh, which I I didn't know it snowed in Istanbul. <laughs> um, I, you know, I guess that makes sense. So it's not too far away. It's on the Black Sea. You know, it's not too far away from the Ukraine. Um, but yeah, uh, so we had some good action. I actually have the Sebastian Corda match on right now in Quimper. So. I'm, taking in some challenger action um as we speak i'm watching it but uh yeah good action in istanbul um you know we had an all french all frenchy final arthur Rinderknecht. he uh continues his great form he's looking better every time i see him every time i watch him play i'm more impressed i'm he won the tournament he, he beat fellow countryman benjamin bonzi uh in the final and every time I see Rinderknecht, uh, and I, I think I'm saying that right. I think it's Rinderneck. Yeah, okay. I think uh, I think where I got that pronunciation was uh, from the great Mike C. Tennis, but maybe, ah. I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. No, he usually – the thing is Mike, sometimes he's full of sh- Usually this is the <laughs> sort of thing he's probably correct about. So either way, Rinderneck, Rinderneck, I call yeah, him Arthur, but I get it. Arthur. Arthur it is. But uh, I, I, he's playing some some ATP-level ball. I think he, I think if he keeps his form up and he gets into, you know, 250-level events, I mean, he can snag some wins, uh, you know, in the first rounds, maybe early rounds of 250s with the, with the form he's displaying. He's, he's playing some great ball. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to, you know, start here on Arthur, Big A, as I referred to him, and we have had the chance to talk to him uh, on our Cracked Interviews podcast. Of course, Arthur, uh, a former, I, I'm just going to refer to him as Big A. You're in my head now, Judson. Uh, you know, Big A, former <laughs> we'll four-year we'll four, no, four standout. 
notorious <laughs> at mispronouncing his name. I, I think we all are. But, uh, of course, Big A, a former All-American for Texas A&M, spent his time there, was on some really good teams. You know, him, Patrick Kipson, Jordi Arcanada, Val Vashro, Juan Carlos Aguilar, Hadi Habib. Incredible. That's that team, team wasn't... Yeah, that team, not a national championship winning team. They lost a 4-3 thrilling semifinal uh, against Wake Forest. That match was at Wake Forest. It was a 4-3. might have honestly been 4-2, but then Wake Forest goes on to beat Ohio State. The top three for that Wake Forest team, Borna Gojo, Petro Risokos, who at the time was the best player in the country, wasn't particularly close. And then number three for them, Skander Mansouri. Tony Bresky started every match up 3-0 and. Anyways, we, we uh, as you can tell, I'm in full college tennis mindset yeah, yeah. right now. Uh, it's good. all and that. Well, that was the first NCAs I ever attended in person. 2018 Winston Salem. Uh, I think we covered it on the podcast. There are podcasts from those days if you want to hear more about that. But to your point, you look at the past. We'll expand it out to last January, really since the start of the 2020 season. Our, uh, you know, Big A. I'm not saying his last name under any circumstance. Big A. <laughs> You know, has made his first four challenger finals of his career. Three and one in those finals. He knocked off James Ward. He knocked off Max Cressy. He knocked off Ben Bonzi here. He he lost to Cressy in a three-set final in Drummondville last year in February. Again, the one he beat him was in Calgary the following week. Yeah, unequivocally, you look at the numbers for him over these time frames. He's 25 and 14 in his last 52. You expand that out to the start of last season. He's 31 and 15 with the three challenger titles. Now, most of that success has come on hard courts, and you look for you know, big A, the, the biggest struggle in his career thus far. I, I filtered out his futures matches. He's 10 and 14 on clay at the challenger level. Some of those losses, not the most particular variety of uh, most particularly beautiful variety, but at the same time, you watch the serve, you watch the forehand on a hard court. I mean, he absolutely has ATP-level weapons. He's going to win a lot of free points. He's going to hold serve pretty easily. You look at what he was able to do at the end of last season, uh, you know, uh, or excuse me, at the start of last season, and just he just the way he used that first serve as a weapon. I mean, in, on, at the challenger level last season, you look at the stats, he won 77% of his first serve points. He won 53% of his second serve points. He was just holding serve at an elite clip. And if you can do that at an elite clip at the challenger level, it's going to translate at the ATP level. So I agree with you. I think the game is ready to be tested at the 250-500 level. Now, the question for me is, where's he at on other surfaces? Because because 10 and 14 at the challenger level on clay is not going to keep you in the ATP top 100 for long. Even if you do have the occasional quarterfinal or maybe even a deeper run at a 250 level event to go along with some challenger titles, you have to have some success on the non-hard court surfaces, particularly uh, in a year when we don't know where tournaments are going to be, when they're going to be. You have to be adaptable. Do you think his game is adaptable at this point? Do you think it'll translate well to clay to uh, hopefully someday we'll get another grass court season? I know that's only like three, four weeks, but how do you think his game translates? Well, he's a he's a big athletic guy, you know, like almost like a Zverev body type. And, uh, you know, Zverev does pretty well on on the clay courts, uh, arguably, you know, his, be- his best yeah, surface but- or it used to be. He- He's but, not as fluid as Vera. No, it's it, yeah, the, as an athlete. 
he's not, and that's he's not ranked in the top ten either. But uh, yeah, it's true. Uh, no, but what I'm saying is, you know, I I do think he has the athleticism to make something work on the surface, but he certainly still has a lot to prove on clay. I was looking through his results. I mean, he doesn't have anything to speak of in the last year, year and a half. I uh, made a quarterfinal at one of the Prague 125s when we came back from the pandemic. But other than that, you know, he doesn't have anything to speak of, really. So he has a lot to, to prove on clay. Uh, certainly in hard courts and, and particularly indoor hard courts are where he makes his bank. Uh, he had 20 aces or something around that total in the final. And so he just bombs aces uh, and then backs it up with a, a big plus one when they do get it back a lot of times. And, you know, that's his, that's that's the bread and butter of his game. And that works best on hard courts, uh, specifically indoor hard courts. Um, you know, I don't know that his game translates particularly well to clay other than the fact that, you know, he's a he's a young, athletic, uh, you know, tall dude. Um, yeah. You know, so I definitely think he, you know, he'll 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 have some proving to do on clay. But uh, I agree that on the hard courts, he is there ready to be tested at the at the next level. Mm -hmm. You look at the losses he had at the end of last season on clay, made the Prague uh, Challenger quarterfinals, lost to Popco. That was an 06-7663 loss. The next uh, challenger he played on clay in Iasi, uh, he loses uh, 6-2-6-7-7-6. So he's right there. His loss to Hertice in Sibiu, uh, 7-6 in the third. His loss to Adjakovic uh, in Maya, 6-1 in the third. So he was right there in a bunch of those matches. My concern on the clay it's just how linear his game is it's very line drive it's very flat right it's not this heavy heavy spin although the serve is going to hit through any court uh, I do think he has the chance to be a really really good server do I think he's the modern fluid athlete no, he's a little stiff at 6'5". We see some, you know, he's not a Hubie Hercats at 6'5", who you trust to move on any surface because of the sort of athlete he is, but he's a fine mover. He's an ATP quality mover. His athleticism is never going to be an issue. I think he's a guy who could absolutely get inside the top 75. I don't know if he can go any higher than that. I, I just, I don't know what the plan B is when the serve's not landing, when he's not getting clean looks on the return. What is he going to do to to have success? And I think the return of serve is something he'll need to continue to improve on. But I think he's a good second serve returner. You look at Tennis Abstract's ELO ranking. He's, I think, over the past 52 weeks, like the number 107 player. He's a guy who's going to crack the top 100. He's been too good at the challenger level over these past 15 months to think that he's not going to do that at some point in the future. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely see him as top 100 quality. I think he's playing top 100 ball right now. Uh, you know, I don't think there's 100 other players that are playing right now that are better than him. So provided that he has the opportunities, you know, with the pandemic and everything, I think he, he cracks that mark sometime this year. I mean, right now, what is he? He's pretty close, 130-something. Um, I think he's uh, 136 or so, something like that. So, I mean, Live ranking 135, new career yeah, high. He still has a, a little ways to go. That's a, yeah, it's a career high for him. Um, he still has a little ways to go that, you know, those last 35 spots, you need about, I don't know, 400 or so points to get to the top one, 150, 135 mark. And then you need 
over 600 to make the top 100 in the world. So, I mean, you the the points you need significantly jumps to make that last step into the top 100 because those guys near the top 100, you know, they get they get ATP opportunities every now and then that result in bigger points than the challenger guys. And so it's just a little bigger step up. He's definitely going to have to uh, you know, to earn some points on tour, I would say, to to crack that mark, but I think he will. And I think he you know, he's a guy that just looks top 100 to me right now. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, it's the hardest jump in tennis to make into the top 100. So many p- people try, and obviously at any time, there's only 100 up there. We could play a game. Can you name 100 players you think could beat Arthur Rinderneck? I think that would be a really fun game, uh, <laughs> but we'll save that for another time. Uh, let's move beyond Arthur Rinderneck, talk about some of the other results. I know you mentioned them already. He takes on 24-year-old and knocks off, I should say, 24-year-old Benjamin Bonsai in the final of this mat, uh, of this tournament, 4 6 7 Six seven six. Uh, I want to talk about the 24-year-old Frenchman for a little bit because, you know, you look for him. It's not the flashiest of pathways for him uh, in terms of his pro career. He's a guy who, in terms of in his junior career, I mean, was pretty successful. I suppose was a junior doubles Grand Slam champion back in 2014, but, you know, I think wasn't ranked too much higher. Let's see, his career high in the junior rankings in singles was a ranking of number number 27 so nothing too special and yet it does feel like very very quietly Benjamin Bonza steadily working his way up the rankings what are your thoughts on the young Frenchman yeah I like him uh he kind of reminds me of a a a David Goffin sort of light and uh you know he, he excellent excellent court coverage movement speed agility um great backhand you know but he's he's he has a slight frame a bit of a slight frame and uh you know so that will limit his his uh potential i think but he's certainly a guy you know i mean david goffin uh has been a top 10 player hasn't he he's been top 10 yeah mm-hmm. and uh you know i mean pretty similar body types pretty similar uh you know athleticism I would say, I mean, and uh, so that's it. That's the kind of guy who's hit, who Bonzi's career could be molded after, I think, you know, and uh, yeah, I, I really like him. He's, he's sharp on court. Uh, he makes a lot of good decisions. He, like I said, he's quick. Uh, you know, he doesn't miss a lot, uh, especially with his backhand. And yeah, he had a lot of good wins this week. He, he took out, um, he took out Massetti in, in, round two um took out the third seed Antoine Huang from France uh in the quarterfinals and then yeah he gave Rinderneck a uh you know a hell of a battle in the final uh he actually he won the first set against Arthur and uh kind of had him on the ropes I think he was up I want to say he was up a break in the second set as well um, but then let the second set tiebreak go away, got it to a third set tiebreak against him. Uh, you know, that Arthur just won with big serving and, you know, that plus one action that he does so well, but it was a great final and it was a great week for, for Bonzi. And he makes the top 150 for the first time. Uh, you know, and he's, like you said, he's, 
he's been a slow and steady type of riser. Uh, he's, he's not super young by any means, uh, 24, but he's making that progression. Uh, you know, last year, let's see where he ended. He ended 165 at, at the beginning of, I'm sorry, at the end of 2020, but at the end of 2019, the last full season, he was at 357. So uh, he's making great progression from 357 to the mid 150s and now inside the the top 150. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that I enjoy most about his game is how translatable it seems to be across surfaces. And, you know, he's only played four grass matches in his career. I think it was a quarterfinal result for him in that instance. But he's, you know, 62% win percentage on clay in 175 matches. He's got a 64% winage, uh, percentage on hard courts through 275 career matches. Now, he hasn't won a challenger title yet in his career. He's made three separate finals. And I do think he has the sort of game where look if he's coming off cross a guy like Arthur Rinderneck in a hard court final Arthur's just got the bigger weapons that match is probably on Arthur Rinderneck's mat, uh, racket but you're right he's rock solid and do I think he's got the weapons to be a top 50 guy I don't know I don't know if he quite what does he do to make points easy for himself match in match out I don't quite have the answer to that question yet he's pretty good on serve pretty you know makes a pretty good percentage of them although that first First per serve percentage leaves uh, a little bit more to be wanting. I think, you know, last season you look at his numbers, he was at 62%. That's good, not great for a first serve make percentage, although winning 73% of your first, percent, uh, first serve points is a very good number. But I do wonder, again, what does he do to make life easy for himself? He does. It's a little bit springier than you would expect. There is a little bit more explosion. I do like the comparison in terms of David Goffin as an athlete type. I just don't think his game is quite that, that dynamic, quite have that sort of pop in it. I mean, again, I 24 years old. He's only going to continue to develop physically, and I think as he gets stronger, you know, his strokes uh, develop more depth, more pace, but... Yeah, I mean, he absolutely could crack the top 100. All of these guys ranked in the top 300 have the talent to be top 100 players. I do like that Benjamin Bonzi doesn't seem to ever beat himself in a match. That is a quality uh, that certainly you notice when you watch him play. And as you mentioned, was a really good week for him uh, here in Istanbul to start as he makes the final. Let's flip gears here because, again, there were some other notable performances. Joseph Kovalik, as you talked about in your article, making the semifinals. But... Let's look at one of the more, I suppose, disappointing performances of the event quickly before we move on. Diego Sabathvild, the number two seed in uh, Istanbul last week, loses his first round match 4-1 and one to Mohamed Safwat. Diego Sabathvild has now lost his last nine professional tennis matches. What's going on with the young Brazilian, Judson? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, yeah, and, you know, first of all, back to the name thing. I don't even pretend with his name. <laughs> he is stable wild to me. <laughs> uh, no, and he's actually said in, in, in interviews, he doesn't mind it. Uh, but yeah, you know, he is just on a huge slump. Uh, and it's so surprising. He ended 2019 so hot. Uh, one of the one of the best players on the Challenger Tour. And then he jumps into 2020 at the new ATP 250 in Santiago, I believe it was. And won the tournament so he has a 250 he has an atp title under his belt less than a year ago and he has just gone up he's nose nosedived you know and i don't know 
I know he was one of the first players to publicly announce that he had COVID, and he hasn't really done much since then, you know? Or it could just be that, you know, I mean, certain guys do certain things during, or did certain things during the pandemic break, and certain guys didn't. You know, did he work hard enough? Uh, you know, was the, the drive there? It's hard to say, or it could just be that, that that amount of time off, I mean, he's a clay court kind of guy. Uh, you know, a lot of those clay court players, they get better the more they play uh, because they're just used to playing week in, week out on, on the dirt. And, you know, so he may not have enough, enough matches under his belt. I don't know what it is, but he's just in a nosedive right now. Now, Sofwat, uh is playing some pretty good ball. He made the, the semis, I believe, in uh, the tournament last week. Yeah, he did. And, uh, you know, so he's playing some pretty good ball, but still for a while to uh, go down, you know, 6-1 in the second set there. And it just was a continuation of some of his previous week's results, really. Um, he's just, his attitude's not very good on the court, uh, you know, and his his form is not very good. I don't know why. No, I mean, I think the thing is for Sabathfield, he made the final of the Aon Provence Challenger right after the quarantine, right, to start September. And for him to go from that to, you know, to lose that final in three set, then nine straight losses there have been. I think he's 0-3 in tiebreakers during that stretch. The thing that's disappeared on him, and you look at the numbers and they reflect this, he just can't seem to find a return. He can't seem to land a return on the court. I mean, he hasn't won. And this is – it's an arbitrary stat. But, look, if you're going to be a top 50 player in in uh, men's tennis, you're going to have to win over 50% of your second serve return points. When you get a look at a second serve, you have to be aggressive. You have to look to attack because all of these players in the top 50 are too good. If you give them a second chance to dictate, they're going to win the points. Tiago Sabathville hasn't exceeded 50% uh, win percentage on his second serve. Uh, since the semifinals of that Aon Provence run he made in September, he's been atrocious on first serve returns as well. Make uh, he hasn't won over thirty percent of them, or he's averaging I think like a twenty-one percent average over his last nine matches. That's just unacceptable. It's not like he's playing John Isner and Riley Opelka back to back to back to back. He's playing guys like you know Orlando Luz, Alejandro Tabilo, who isn't you know they're not throwing the is or serve at you and it's just it, I don't know if it's a mental thing I don't know what it is but he just cannot seem to find a way to land a return in the court and when he was having success uh, that's something he was doing really well he was winning around 45% of his return points in general then able to protect uh, with his first serve and I think the serve has still looked good for him but yeah it's it's been weird. It's been a really weird, really weird run for Tiago Sabathfield, and that's definitely he was a young guy. We all had circled. You make a final uh, and win an ATP title in Santiago at the age of I think what was he nineteen at the time? Uh, maybe he was twenty at the time that it happened. I think he was nineteen at the time that he won the title. About to turn twenty, we're all going to pay attention to you in a way you maybe haven't had the spotlight on you before, but. This is a guy who is a former world junior number one, junior slam champion. So I am really surprised to see the breakthrough happen and then to have this regression over his past nine matches. Yeah, yeah, I am too. And, you know, I just, I think the pandemic maybe, you know, perhaps just came in a, a terrible time for him. He was on a roll. 
um, it is it is odd because, like you say, right after the pandemic, I recall now that he did have that title run at you know one of the biggest challengers uh, yeah. on, on the challenger circuit. So it is odd. Uh, one thing to consider, in addition to what you said, and I think you might bring up a lot of good points, is that the the fall slash winter is probably not his favorite time of the year. A lot of indoor hardcore events. You know, he's more more at home on the clay. I think he has found some clay tournaments to play, but, you know, you can't play all clay over the winter. You've got to play some indoor hardcore, and that's probably not his favorite time of the year. Another thing to consider is, you know, these South Americans have had a pretty hard time of it because of the pandemic, I think. Um, you know, they, they have to be away from home, lots of traveling for long periods of time, and, you know, that probably wears on on people uh something that you don't really consider but has to be somewhat of a factor i would think yeah i mean i i see his weapons though and i just think this should translate to a hard court and i don't get why they didn't or why they haven't at least here in the early stretch of 2021 but again he's 20 years old we got time yeah. for tiago sabathville so again we will i'm sure talk about him more as this 2021 season progresses and there's plenty more we could talk about in istanbul but for the sake of brevity let's move on now to some of the other results that happened across the world in week three judson let's start with some of the women's results we saw at the itf level and stop me if you've heard this before but it seems like week after week month after month particularly here early in the season when there aren't plenty opportunities at you know the 75 125k level and all of these players across the world just looking to get any matches they can under their belts feels like this is the time when the young up-and-coming stars are really thriving on the itf circuit yeah it really is the the women's circuit they have so much very young good talent uh coming up on the itfs and you don't need to go anywhere but last week to see that Across the board, there were four ITFs on the uh, on the women's side last week. That was the only, you know, pro tennis that was available to WTA players last week. Uh, you know, the top players are all down in Melbourne quarantining. And so there were no WTA events. They were all the low-level $15,000 or $25,000 ITF events. And there were four of them, and in all four of them, you saw teenage titleist um and or in the case of antalya they didn't finish but it was two teenagers in the final so it would have been a teenage titleist so i mean it's just amazing in manicore you had a 15 year old that that trains at the rafa nadal academy winning at her home academy uh you know the philippine girl uh, alexandra iala hope i get that right and uh, you know so she's 15 years old i think it's fifth or sixth pro level event um, and goes and wins the tournament. You had, of course, former junior number one, Clara Tossen, uh, from Denmark. She won the biggest women, the most competitive women's field, women's tournament last week in Fujaira. Uh, that was, you know, just across the, the desert from Dubai there in the UAE. Um, she won that final. And I mean, I think she has, I can't recall off the top of my head, six maybe or more pro titles at, at this point now she just turned 18 um and then there were uh there was a an 18 year old titleist in cairo um sinja cross from Aus austria and then like i said the two the two finalists in 
and Talia were both teenagers, but they didn't get to play their final because rain has completely rain completely washed out play on Sunday and then on Monday again and now on Tuesday and so they've abandoned that final. Now, I mean, just some numbers for everyone quickly. I'm running them. You look at the live rankings right now at the WTA over, I think it's 11.5% of the top 200 are under the age of 21. Over 10% of the top 400 are under the age of 21 as well. It's just like, yeah. This next generation is here to play, and of course, when you, you when you use a metric like under twenty one, that knocks off players such as Sophia Kenyon or you know Ashley Barty or Elena Rabakina, all of these other Marketa Vondrusova, who's already made a Grand Slam final, all of these already established at the top of the games, you know, young players, and it is crazy to see all that success manifest itself on uh, the pro circuit already. Now, to your point, you, you talked about one of the big names. All of us will be circling for you know, 18-year-old Clara Tawson uh, to win her ninth professional title by the age of 18. And we talked about her because I believe she won an event back in December as well. I mean, it's if not when Tawson is going to crack the top 100. And you look for her right now, 18 years old. She's number 144 in the world. I believe she is now the second youngest player inside the ATP top two, uh, inside the ATP top one, uh, ATP, excuse me, the WTA top 150. Uh, the youngest, of course, being Coco Goff. I mean, the ball just explodes off of Clara Tawson's racket, Judson. It's really fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's very entertaining to watch. And I'll tell you what, the the Danes are going to be some happy tennis fans in the next few years. Uh, they have they have Tossin coming up on the women's side, and she has top ten player to me written all over in the future. Uh, you know, barring injuries and all that. Uh, and then, of course, on the men's side, you have the current junior number one, seventeen year old uh, Holger Rune, and you know he also won his tournament that he was playing in this week on on the men's side in the ITFs. Um, and so, I mean, the Danes are going to have a lot to look forward to in the next few years. Yeah, I mean, and we've talked about uh, Holger Rune before, who, as you mentioned, I believe this week he won his title, I want to say, in Cairo? No, he wasn't no. in Cairo. He was in France? Yeah, he was on the indoor hard courts in Brassur, France. Mm -hmm. Give us the rundown. What happened at the men's ITF level? Yeah, so on the men's side, there were, there were, just, there were just three. There was the indoor hard court in Brasur. Uh, and, and, and then there were the two there's Antalya and in Cairo, um, you know, that they have each week and those two were on clay. Uh, you know, so, and, and the, the strongest field of the three was definitely in, in France in Brasur and Holger Rune took that title. Um, he, uh, let me pull that up. I'm sorry. He, yeah, he took out uh, Martineau from France, who's a, a big server, uh, you know, and he's, I think he's been, he's, he's played some challenger ball before. Um, a lot of these guys in this field were former or current challenger players. Um, let's see the, uh, I mean, I think the entire field was in the top 400, maybe other than wild cards and things like that. So I mean, it was, it was an excellent field for ITFs and Rune, uh, you know, he just continues his amazing form, really. Last year, he tried to basically skip ITFs. You know, he was junior number one. Um, you know, he was training with all the stars. He's at Patrick Martoglu's 
or academy and uh you know he tried to he tried to skip a step he tried to skip those itfs go straight to the challengers he was getting a few wild cards as the junior number one rolling garros champion you know things like that um and it didn't work out very well he was only 16 turning 17 uh you know and, and it showed so this year he at the end of last year and this year since since we came back from the pandemic he's been playing almost exclusively on the itf circuit and he has been winning. Uh, he's won. I think he's made four finals and won three titles or something along those lines. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but um, I mean, he he is winning matches every single tournament he plays, uh, and winning a title about every other tournament he plays, or at least making the final. And again, we are talking. We're not talking about. Although these ITFs are the lowest level men's professional tournaments, they do not act like it right now the substance of them are not that low. Uh, you know, the quality of players are not that low because of the lack of playing opportunity across the board. These ITFs have quality players in them. Like I said, this week, almost exclusively a top four or 500 field in Brasseur. You know, that may not sound super quality, but it is. Those top 500 guys, they're, they're all guys that have, you know, major talent. Yeah, you look for so a couple of things. Holger Rune, thirty-eight and fourteen in his last fifty-two weeks. You look at what he's done. He's made five different futures finals. He's won three of them. Uh, of course, he's already made a futures uh, two finals to start this season. The the title he just won, and then the week prior, uh, he made a final before losing to Evan Furness uh, in Manicor. Furness, of course, the talented twenty-two-year-old Frenchman, has also been really, really good of late, but. Yeah, I mean, for Holger Rune, look, the, you, you love to see the linear progression from these players. And for some of them, it's exponential, as we've talked about before. But for Holger Rune, you're right. He wasn't ready for challenger tennis. For him to make the decision to go back now to, again, 38-14 and 14 in his last 15, he has been even better since uh, the start of September. If you want to narrow the t- time span and look for Holger Rune, where he has been since the start of uh, since the restart of play, since the pandemic. Holger Rune 30 and 10 or excuse me 33 and 10 in matches so he's winning essentially 78% of his uh, futures level matches that's a guy who's ready to now go ahead and play some challenger qualities and normally with a ranking of 458 he may be able to start doing just that at 17 years old uh, 16 years old however old he is right now I think he's 17 turns 18 this year but you know to something you had just mentioned there Judson and this sort of gets us into our week four preview as I know we have a couple of challenger events on hand and a couple of oh we're going to see some big uh, stars back in action at the challenger circuit you look at the rankings cutoff for these early events, Judson, it is ridiculous. I mean, even ITF-level events, it's almost exclusively top 400, top 500 players. And I'm curious, have you been noticing uh, that similar trend as well? And then, of course, what do our listeners have in store for week four of this pro tennis season? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, the, the challenger cutoffs are, are exceedingly high. Um, I think... Uh, I think the the Quimper challenger this week had a higher, or maybe I think it was actually I haven't checked it this week, but the the Istanbul challenger last week had a higher main draw cutoff or qualifier cutoff than the ATP 250s in Delray and Antalya had main draw cutoffs. So in, in other words, maybe the top of the field isn't as high a quality. You know, you're not getting top 
top 20 guys playing challengers, but the bottom of the field is as good or better than, than some of those ATP 250 uh, tournaments that have been played. Uh, you know, there's at the bottom of the field, I think last week in Antalya, the, the cutoff was right around 200. Whereas in Delray Beach at the ATP 250, you know, it was like 270, 278 or something, you know? Um, so, I mean, the, the quality of the, the fields are, are excellent because there's nowhere else to go. These players want to play and there's nowhere to play. So they're all signing up, you know? Um, yeah, and this week, I mean, these are the some of the names that, that Rune beat there in France. He beat, uh, in the first round, Jeffrey Blancano. He's a, I think he's in the top 200 uh, in round one. Round two, beat Cornet Chavonc, who has a wild card this week into the challenger in Quimper and, and qualified. Uh, you know, so he's he's winning in the challengers. And, and Rune beat him in straight sets three and four. Then he beat Quentin Donnelly, or Denali, um, you know, and he's ranked about 330. And then he beat Zizou Bergs, who had an ATP win last year in Antwerp, I believe. And, uh, you know, and then beat Martino in the final. That is an excellent win list for an ITF. I mean, those are all. I think the lowest guy he he played was Cornish Chavonk, who's ranked around 400. Um, and, and, you know, is a guy that is winning in the challengers. So, And that's at an ITF at a 15K. Um, so excellent, excellent field quality. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm I have I'm pulling up all of the highlights I plan on watching after we're done recording this pod. I'm going to be on Casper's Zook alert. I don't know if he won or lost yet today. Did he win he, today? Did he lose? He won. He won, and he's he looks great. Yeah. Oh, I'm a big Casper Zook fan, so I'm looking forward to that one. I'm looking forward again to just getting back to hitting livestream.com/slash ATP, watching all oh, of this yeah. action unfold. Yeah, I mean, look, some of the guys in plays you mentioned in Istanbul, or excuse me, in uh, Antalya this weekend. It's funny how Antalya just so quickly translates from hard courts to clay, just jumping around, you know, again, what they can do at this facility. But, you know, Jami Munar back in action, the number one seed. We know how good he can be uh, on the clay courts. Daniel Galan, who was so good at the challenger last season, uh, challenger level last season, you've got guys like uh, Tiago Sabath-Vild in play. You've got Daniel Altmaier in play. Joseph Kovalik playing again this week. Fasundo Bagnus back in play. I even see an Ernesto Escobedo appearance on the clay in Antalya. So hopefully, hopefully they're able to play that match at some point. And then, yeah, I mean, Luca Pui, number one seed in Quimper, and you know, just across the board, it is it's a loaded draw. So we should be in for some. High High quality tennis. Hopefully, we'll get to see that action in Antalya happen, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, it, I mean, just to, to make it clear, Antalya, you know, we, we've we've brought it up a little earlier. They had they've had a bunch of rain, and they had to abandon that women's ITF final. They also had to abandon men's ITF final, uh, so it never got played. Although, before they canceled it, one of the competitors withdrew and gave the other competitor the title i guess but either way that that title that title didn't get played last week so they did not they were not able to finish their tournaments last week and they have not even started their tournaments this week and in antalya there are three separate tournaments at the same facility that need to be started and here we are it's tuesday for them it's um tuesday tuesday night almost midnight you know 
Um, so they're going into Wednesday, and it's supposed to rain tomorrow also. And they have three tournaments. They have a women's ITF, you know, with a 64-woman qualifying draw that hasn't started. They have a men's ITF with a 64-men qualifying draw that hasn't started. And then they have a, a, a challenger there that this week at the same exact facility, and they have not started qualifying qualifying either N nobody's hit a ball in Antalya this week so they're gonna have like 150 matches <laughs> you know on their order to play Thursday I don't know I I'm beginning to wonder they apparently it doesn't appear that they have an indoor facility as an option maybe so and if they don't I don't know that they're gonna finish that tournament uh, so that's something to keep an eye on because it is a great field as you as you pointed out Galan you know uh, Munar they got Moliker, who's coming back, you know, a great German 18-year-old. Um, a lot of good names there, Wild, Musetti, Tabilo. Um, but, uh, yeah, they haven't hit a ball yet. The the other – so there, this week there are the two challengers, the one in Antalya, and then there's one indoors um, in France, in Quimper, Quimper, France. And it has – a better field maybe than in Talia. Uh, both fields for the challengers are, are really good this week. And then in addition to those challengers, there's two ITFs, the one in Antalya that hasn't begun. And then there's another one on clay in Cairo. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, looking forward to the action in Antalya starting in the meantime, I've been keeping my eye on the Quimper action. It's uh, you know, it's the only live tennis on the men's side that you can watch right now because Antalya hasn't begun. Um, and that's what I was watching a little earlier. I actually didn't finish my quarter match. I don't know if you won yet or not. But don't tell me. I'm Don't, don't spoil it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, the the field in, in Quimper at that French indoor hardcourt tournament, it's a Challenger 100, is excellent. It has Sebastian Corda. He's the two seed. Uh, he needs three wins this week to break the top 100. He needs to make the semifinals. Uh, and then uh, the top seed is former top 10 player Luca Pui, uh, home Frenchman. He skipped, of course, he skipped the Australian Open. Uh, you know, he's coming back from injury. He had a child very recently. And so he decided to skip the, the Aussie Open, stay in his home country, you know, and forgo all the quarantining and all that. And uh, so he's, he's due on court tomorrow for the first time. So it'll be interesting to see how he he goes about it but uh when you have those two as your top seeds in a challenger that's 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 a good start to a good field mm -hmm. it is going to be a fun week of tennis certainly at the challenger level and of course i believe there are a couple of itf results going on or itf events going on as well right yeah yeah so i i mentioned the itfs on the men's side they're two low level tournaments on the women's side uh you know they there's a full slate of ITFs and the women do it a little differently than the men. Of course, uh, they don't have a challenger tour. So basically the WTA does not organize the mid level of professional tennis, like the ATP does with the challenger tour. They let the ITFs handle it. And so the ITFs do that mid level. They also manage the lower levels, the 15 and $25,000 levels, the entry levels of professional tennis, but, the ITFs on the women's side, uh, the ITF organization on the women's side, they organize what would be challengers for the women. Um, and this week there are two of them. 
uh, $260,000 events, so $60,000 purses. And uh, they are in Rome, Georgia, not to be confused, you know, with the Rome. <laughs> and uh, so they're on hard courts there. And then they are in France as well on an indoor hard court in like Andrea Booth, Boothea or something like that. <laughs> um, some of those French names are so difficult. But uh, yeah, so there's two pretty good level, uh, you know, challenger level, high challenger level events going on on the women's side, in addition to a handful of lower level ITFs. Mm -hmm. No, it's again, tennis is back, folks. And next week, things really get going with all the action at the ATP and WTA levels picking up again in Australia. But certainly, uh, look, we talked about it at the start. If you have an itch that needs to be scratched in terms of getting your fulfillment of tennis in your life, you can find it a couple of different places here this week. And of course, Judson, our listeners are going to be able to find you in a couple of different places here this week as you are going to be joining me on Thursday, I believe, for a little game of buy, sell, hold with some of the American tennis players here in this 2021 season but uh and again before we wrap today's podcast i want to give you one final thought any other things you'll be watching for most closely here in week four of the tennis world on or off the court yeah so not a lot going on on the court just the the you know couple challengers for the men's and or for the men and ladies but uh off the court well i guess one more on court thing that i'll be watching for on the 29th you know some of the top players in adelaide They'll be doing their exhibition. I might pop into that on Tennis Channel for a little bit. I don't know. I'm uh, not huge on the exhibition tennis, but, you know, when we've only had, I don't know, 10 tournaments since March of last year or whatever, <laughs> I'll take the exhibitions, you know. Um, so, I'm, you know, I'll probably, I think it's on the 29th, uh, you know, Australian time. So it's probably on the 28th for most of us. Um, and uh, so that'll be interesting. You know, there's, Novak and Rafa and Serena and Venus and uh, Dominic team. So they got a they got a good lineup over there. I think Naomi Osaka is there. Um, and then you know yeah, just uh, keep up with the quarantine watch. See what happens. See if any players continue to lose their minds. They only have a few days left. And uh, yeah, just get ready for the Aussie summer down under. It's going to be massive we're gonna right out of the gates you know without warning we're, we're going we're going to be jumping right into six high level tournaments <laughs> you know with all the best players in the world all there in melbourne at the same facility same facilities uh you know three wta 500s two at stacked atp 250s plus the atp cup all of that going on and then, you know, go straight from that right into the Australian Open. It's going to be crazy. Mm -hmm. It is going to be a fun time. And, of course, we will do our best here at Crack Rackets to try and make sense of all of it, try and keep all of you in the loop on everything that is happening across the world. Of course, if you want to read anything more about the past week in tennis or what's ahead for all of us, be sure to check out Judson's weekly review preview articles on our website, CrackRackets.com. And, of course, as always, you can follow all of his work at Tennis in Aloha. Uh, of course, Judson, a huge thank you to you for taking the time to chat today a huge thank you to our friends at midwest sports uh, as always for their support and as always a huge shout out to our super producers max ligner and daniel westoff who have a of an editing job to do i'll throw one more question at you judson before we wrap today's podcast who is your favorite player at producing uh quarantine content 
Oh, it's a good question. Uh, you know, so I think I'm going to give you two answers because there's been two quarantines. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the original quarantine, I'll go with Christiane. She she was excellent. Uh, I think she was the one that came out with that, that video. Um, uh, I think with the big three talking with Rafa <laughs> and Fed kind of talking, talking shit. <laughs> Djokovic and then Djokovic pops in or whatever it was uh Christian did some great TikToks during the original quarantine but the Aussie quarantine you know I think taking into account uh quality of content um the uh what's the word I'm looking for the uh just winner the leader in the clubhouse the yeah yeah sure anyway I think you got to go with uh, with Pablo Cuevas. Ooh, yeah, that's a good pick. I mean, yeah. look, those are both more – for someone who prides themselves on watching the non-mainstream goings-on in the tennis world, those were two pretty mainstream picks, Judson. I'm not going to yeah, lie. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was I hoping know. you'd be like, well, if you saw if you saw Tristan Lamassine's you know, Instagram TikTok of him training in wherever he is this week, you'd have loved it. Well, he's he's playing Sebastian Quarter right now, so I know he's in Quimper. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I think they're in a third set breaker as we speak. Oh, no. Uh, All right. Oh, did I spoil something for no, you? No, I, 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 if that's where they're at, I'm just going to hop in and watch the end of it. Yeah, oh, not going to say there's up. So, wait, I think he – no, 5-all. I think Quarter oh, just oh, hit a shank yeah. – a shank forehand over the head winner of Lamassine. What a beautiful shot from Sebastian Corda there. So it's a fun one here that, of course, we both want to go watch the ending of. So as always, Judson, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. And again, for my wonderful co-host, Judson Wall, our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Judson, what do we tell the people? That's the break, my man. It was good to hear your voice. Uh, We'll talk to you. It is, uh, it is always good to hear your voice. I'll talk to you on Thursday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget about that. <laughs> yeah, All right. Of so course. Quarter has a match. Or no, Lamasine has a match point here. All right. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, no, we'll leave that as a cliffhanger for all of our listeners. But of course, yes, Judson, thank you oh so much, and I will talk to you soon. All right. 